Thursday edition, Locked on NBA. Ben Golliver joining me. I'm in Boston. Ben's in Los Angeles. We're going coast to coast on this one. And I've got some fun NBA plane debate that I'm going to bring up with Ben here in a few minutes. But let's run through last night's action, which was highlighted by the Luka Doncic-Zion Williamson matchup. New Orleans and Dallas. Ben, they entertained. They did exactly what you thought they would do with those kinds of headliners. I mean, Luca goes off for 30 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. Zion has 21.6 rebounds. It wasn't just them, though. Brandon Ingram got it on the action. Lonzo Ball got it on the action. Kristaps Porzingis had a big night with 34 points and 12 rebounds. And the whole thing was very interesting to watch down the stretch. It wound up going to overtime because it could. It, it seemed like both teams at times were trying to give the game away. Uh, I think, you know, there's both pros and cons to kind of dig into here. I would say start with the pros. You know, Luca had some just phenomenal closing plays on offense late in that game. He had a look-away pass late to find a corner three-point shooter that you thought was going to ice the game in regulation. In overtime, he played some just brilliant, beautiful two-man game with Chris Stapps Perzingis, and he also just had a series of fakes that just absolutely left uh, Drew Holiday, one of the best perimeter defenders in the dust. I mean, practically had him falling over sideways uh, with, with some of his deeks and jukes. Uh, but it wasn't all pretty. Uh, you know, I think that Luca had some defensive lapses in this game. And if you flip it around the other way, it was kind of the same deal with Zion. Not only him individually, uh, but also team-wide. You know, down the stretch, he got caught in no man's land on a very key possession, gave up a wide-open three-pointer in the corner. Uh, that was pretty much his fault on the backside. And then the real issue I thought for New Orleans was, I believe the final seven minutes of regulation, Zion didn't have a single shot attempt. Everybody else was getting the ball except for him. They were struggling to score at various points and, you know, jacking up some contested shots. I think on one key possession, there was an air ball from Derek Favors from the corner. I mean, it was just kind of a a comedy of errors at times for them. He did get reengaged a little bit in overtime, Uh, But when you're looking at the Pelicans, I thought this was the big takeaway for them because these are games they need to have. They've dropped a couple here in a row, one really ugly one uh, to Minnesota, and then this really tight one to Dallas. And when we fast forward, you know, a month and 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 some change lock, this stretch could be what winds up costing them the eighth seed. All right, we'll talk about the Pelicans in a second because, as I kind of said to you in one of our past conversations, like as much as every number in the world said that they were supposed to be the eighth seed, I just need them to win games. (laughs) And they didn't seem to have a (laughs) propensity to doing that. But I think there's something interesting about the Dallas in the clutch. They've been really bad this year in the clutch. Um, I think they're 12-19 and in the 31 games they've played, which were in five points in the final five minutes. Going into tonight, Luka was shooting 34%, 18-53, and 5-28 of 28 from 3, 18%. Only 63% from the line. Chris Stapps was 27% field goal percentage in games with 5 minutes left within 5. And 2 of 13 from 3. And Tim Hardaway, 31% and 24% for 3. At some point, that's maybe just being unlucky. But it's something interesting about this Dallas team. It's why they're... Uh, point differential so much better than their record is they've just been crazy crazy bad in the clutch for sure this is a good teaching tape from this game honestly because when they got bogged down or when Luca was trying to do hero ball stuff or even when they they brought the ball in on the final play of uh, regulation and it winds up being a really tough fall away two-pointer for Chris Depps that he kind of misses in the corner that's contested at the buzzer um, that was when they were at their worst 
when Luca was um, attacking and dishing and running the offense and they were trying to basically turn good shots into great shots, I thought their clutch offense in certain moments was just excellent and really had uh, New Orleans guessing. So I think the, the formula is pretty straightforward for them. It's like, Luca, you know, the hero ball stuff, uh, that's going to wind up getting you on Sports Center and all of that. That might not actually be, you know, the, the highest priority here. Like, you know, continue to attack off the dribble, get into the paint, uh, create open shots for your shooters, and then trust that they're going to hit it. At times they did, uh, at times they didn't. But I thought he showed a nice job of, uh, you know, sticking with the program uh, at times here late. And then he was also a factor on the offensive glass on one key possession, tapping out an offensive rebound, uh, and you like to see that hustle play too. So. I think, uh, you know, I'm with you. They've been really confounding and frustrating uh, to watch late in games regularly this season. Uh, this is one where they kind of escaped uh, by the skin of their teeth, and I think that there were positives they could take from this one. Kristaps uh, Porzingis was the player of the week. Um, he's also been, you know, pretty remarkable recently. His last four or five games, I actually did a research project many years ago about players coming off their ACL, and what I generally found out was that they played better after the All-Star break, regardless of when their injury was. It was as though they they started unsure, they got to the All-Star break, they were able to take a, you know, a mental break and come back and be who they are. He has been uh, great, which leads to the question of one, how good is he again having just left New York tonight? Um, I can be certain of whether I think that was a good idea. Uh, but on the second, maybe more important aspect is how good does he make the Mavericks? Well, I, the, I'm glad you mentioned the New York part of it because I think Doris Burke was the one who was kind of making fun of that trade in hindsight. And you look at all the mess that's coming out of New York this week with Spike Lee and, uh, you know, of course, the new front office regime. They've already fired the coach. And you look at the players they got back from Dallas. I mean, it's just an absolute mess. I mean, when was the last time we heard from Dennis Smith Jr. in sort of any positive way, right? Um, so certainly, I think that's ripe for second guessing. And it was a big risk when they did it. And as soon as they didn't get anybody on July 1st, they lost that trade so badly, it's not even funny. And it just continues to get worse. Um, now, in terms of how uh, good he makes Dallas, you know, I actually woke up and, uh, you know, one of the first things I did this morning was engage in an argument with our mutual friend, Kevin Pellin at ESPN, because they released their top 25 under uh, 25 players uh, list over at ESPN Insider and I guess ESPN Plus now. Uh, and, you know, there was some debate about, OK, well, where's DeAndre Ayton relative to Kristaps Porzingis? And to me, it's like when you're comparing those players, I know Ayton's been playing a little bit better recently, but. I think the ceiling that you have on a team when Chris Stapps is your stretch five and he can really shoot it from outside and then he can also just be that centerpiece uh, you know, of a lineup and he's accepted that role here as the center uh, for that group, it's just so much higher uh, than a, any team where that has eight on it because he doesn't have that shooting range because I still think he needs to improve uh, from a, you know, a rim protection, shot blocking type standpoint and also just a defensive leadership type standpoint. Like, to me, there's no contest. Like, I would way rather have Chris Stapps, despite his injury issue, going forward for the next 10 years uh, compared to a player like Aiden. And when you're looking, you know, that's a guy who was a number one pick and, you know, a pretty, uh, you know, hyped guy here in recent years. I think that just tells you that Porzingis' team value is very high and his career is getting back on track. He's Ben Golliver, the Washington Post. I'm David Locke. Thanks for tuning in to Locked on NBA. All right, let's flip to the other side of this. The Pelicans lose again. Uh, I mean... Everything in the world points to them being the eighth seed. What did he, we all want it to happen? We want Zion, LeBron. Like it'd be amazing. The math is becoming bad, like really bad. 
The Grizzlies are 31 and 31. They're 5 and 5 in their last 10. They're much worse since the trade. There's no question. But they got 20 games left. If they go 10 and 10 the rest of the way, the Memphis the New Orleans Pelicans have to go 16 and 4. There's no way in God's green earth they're going 16 and 4. That's what I'm saying. They're going to look back on this stretch and really, really regret it. I mean, they're going to say, how did we not beat the Timberwolves? And more importantly, how did we give up 139 points at home to the Timberwolves without Carl Anthony Towns and basically what should be viewed as a must-win game? And then same thing, how do they let this one get away against Dallas where uh, you know it's a hard-fought contest the whole way through. They're playing pretty good basketball, uh, and they just can't get it done late in that game. I mean, I think that there are some classic signs of a young team here. Now, of course, they're not that young. A lot of their key guys, whether it's Drew Holiday, Reddick before the injury, and Derek Favors are very experienced players. But, you know, Brandon Ingram has never won anything, uh, you know, as a pro, right? I mean, the Lakers were kind of afterthoughts down the stretch of these uh, past couple of seasons when he was there, and they're still trying to get their sea legs together in New Orleans, same deal with Lonzo Ball, and same deal with Zion Williamson, who's you know also has the added disadvantage of of coming through to this group halfway through the season. So um, I guess we can give them a little bit of a, a looser leash, just understanding that uh, some of their very important guys, especially in late game moments, just haven't had the opportunity to gel together, um, and it showed. And that's kind of what I saw against Dallas is they didn't know where to go with the basketball. Where they did go with the basketball wasn't always the right place. Uh, and I don't think that Zion quite has, uh, you know, the uh, the leverage quite yet to just basically take over and say, hey, give me the ball down the stretch. It's time to force feed me. And, um, you know, I hope that is something that comes out of this game from New Orleans' standpoint. They cannot continue to have these situations where he is a non-factor on offense for long stretches of the fourth quarter. It's just not how they're going to find their greatest success. He attracts a lot of attention when he has the ball in his hands. He's very tough to handle one-on-one. Uh, and he can make the simple play to the open man if he needs to. So I think all of those things are, are rooms for improvement. But he also has to get better on the defensive end. Uh, I think he was caught napping at some key situations. Their defense and uh, intensity level hasn't been good enough here recently. And I think ultimately that's probably going to be what their undoing is. New Orleans continues to perplex us all. We'll continue to talk about that. Plus some other items and a uh, NBA airplane debate. If you wonder what happens on the back of NBA airplanes, I'll tell you in just a second. Staying with the perplexing New Orleans, uh, I'm always so everywhere you read that Drew Holiday's this like high level defensive player, which may be true. Anthony Davis is this high level. They had both of them who were like average once ever defensively. How? how? What is up with New Orleans defensively? Like, how do you have Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis all these years and you're never better than average? And if you really, if Drew Holiday's that good, like if they're both as good defensively as they seem to be, why is New Orleans never good defensively? Well, I think depth issues were a huge problem for them, uh, especially on the wings. You know, I mean, they were really just kind of like rotating through G League level players there for a number of years. I think Davis's injury issues, obviously, through everything. Um, you know, out of sync. I mean, there was a number of years where, like, they would look one way when he played and, and uh, you know, a different way when he didn't. Um, Holiday also missed a lot of time, and he wasn't the most consistent presence there, uh, you know, during that partnership. So, I mean, I think there's a, a variety of different standpoints. If the idea is that those two guys are individually overrated as defenders, 
I'm not totally sure I'm ready to go there. I think Davis has enjoyed excellent health this season, and he's been a major, major figure in what the Lakers and their team success uh, on the defensive end this year. So I'd give him credit there. And I think with Drew Holiday, it's like, I mean, bless him. He's never asked out of New Orleans. He's never wanted a change of scenery. He's never pushed for that. I don't know why he hasn't because, uh, you know, they've been through kind of like so many different chapters down there. I'm surprised his patience just never ran out or I'm surprised he didn't say, oh, well, uh, you know, Anthony wants out. So I want out too. Uh, again, kudos to him. I mean, that's why they installed him kind of as the captain this year and everything else. But, um, you know, I don't think you can build an elite defense or even an above average defense based solely on the strength of, uh, you know, a plus perimeter defender. I think you've got to have that strong back line. And as soon as, you know, Davis is out or as soon as he's traded, um, everything gets a lot more difficult. All right. Back of the airplane debate tonight. So the back of the airplane to the media guys. And so every now and then we're all talking. We just flew from Boston to New York. You've been granted a franchise. And there's a new rule that when you've been given your new franchise, Ben Golliver, you can actually pick one player off of any team to put on your roster. Who are you taking? How do contracts work? Do I get their current contract set up? Um, or do I get them forever? I mean, you you have them for the term of their, you know, right. So, like, I mean, I guess we could claim that you automatically get them for a five-year deal. I don't know. Whatever, like, if you have something there or a four-year deal. I mean, you're gonna have to re- you're gonna have to build. You can't be James Dolan and expect him to stay. Like if you suck as an owner, Golliver, <laughs> you're losing your franchise. You know you're gonna lose your you're gonna lose him. So, um, so I understand what you're saying. Basically, is that Giannis has one year left, and so you're scared of that because you don't think you'll be good enough owner to keep him. Well, you read my mind, but it's more like I I think I'm such a good owner. I have such false confidence that I'm going to take Luca, and I'm going to assume that I can re-sign him to not only his rookie extension, but then also a third contract. So I'm going to get myself like 10 solid years of Luca, and I think I'm, that's going to be my pick. Who's your pick? Well, if you, if what happens if you had contracts were not an issue, is Luca still your pick? Uh, if contracts were not an issue, Giannis would be my pick. Um, just based on the idea that uh, I think his ceiling as a two-way impact guy, that, that he's legitimately has a case as the, the most impactful offensive player and the most impactful defensive player this season uh, is such a rare combination that I would take that. And uh, I also just love his work ethic and his initiative in terms of how he just improves year to year to year. I've seen it happen for the last seven straight years, and I trust it's going to happen for the next three years. And uh, to me, it, it seems like the surest path to a title is to just ride the Giannis wave through the through, through the rest of his prime. So contracts out of the out of the window, I would take uh, Giannis number one. If we're going with their current deals and, and sort of where they're at age wise, I would take Luca. Okay, here was I'll give Matt Harpering credit for this one. Matt Harpering's point was like, if I'm an owner and I win a title, it's a win, right? Just winning a title is completely impossible. He's like, I'll take LeBron. <laughs> I, I could see that, too. And look, if you want to sell jerseys and be number one on team merchandise and sell out every single ticket and have the best local TV ratings, uh, there's a lot uh, in favor of LeBron. There's no question. I guess uh, I'm looking at this as a little bit of a longer-term proposition. Like if, if, if the LeBron plays Giannis in the finals this year, who are you taking? Personally, I'm going to take Giannis uh, and their context um, because I think that 
Giannis is better able to defend LeBron than anybody on the Lakers is going to be able to defend Giannis. Um, and, you know, some of the clutch numbers that we've described for the Lakers have me a little bit spooked in terms of what's it going to look like in June after the end of a very long and tiring series where everything is going to be on his shoulder. Uh, I think uh, I would take Giannis there, but it's closer than it has any reason to be given how uh, old LeBron is at this stage of his career for him to even be in the conversation as like the best player in the game or on the short list of those candidates at 35 is just crazy. Here's another candidate for you. And I'm writing about him for tomorrow. What about Steph Curry? You know, he's only 31 and I was going back through basketball reference and like Jordan was 31 when he was playing baseball with the uh, Birmingham Barons. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was 31 the year before Magic got drafted. Shaq was 31 when he got traded to the Heat. LeBron was 31 uh, when he won his last title with the Cavaliers. I guess the point there is that all those guys played an awful lot of basketball at a really high level after they were 31 years old. Do we rush Steph Curry out of this conversation just because he's been out of sight, out of mind? You know, well, here's actually where I put Steph Curry in this conversation. It might be why I take LeBron. Like, if I believe LeBron is my greatest certainty to a title, more than Giannis, okay? So let's let's go with that for a second. But next year, the landscape of the league is so dramatically different. You've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving back. Uh, rejecting the screen, Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov kind of made this point on their Tuesday edition of Rejecting the Screen on the Lockdown Podcast Network. you got Steph Curry with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green back in... Golden State, like, who knows what the landscape of the NBA is next year? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that they could be, if I'm the Warriors, I'm thinking with Wiggins, a draft pick or a trade of that draft pick, and a few other bench-filling moves, now that steps back in the mix, I think that they should be entering next season with title hopes. I mean, I'm not saying that they're the favorites, but they should feel like they're in the mix right there. And I do think that, you know, Steph's ability to make everybody around him better to elevate his teammates, to be a, a, a tone setter, uh, and to you know basically create space for everybody else on the court, as he's done for the last five seasons. He's got a track record that matches up with just about anyone. So you know I, I don't think this is an easy conversation, and I think uh, you know he, he's an easy guy to forget just because he hasn't played for the last four months. Uh, and same deal with Kevin Durant. You're telling me I could have a 100% healthy Kevin Durant? Uh, I would consider him too. Uh- the guys on rejecting the screen, I th- you know, our good friend Kevin Arnovitz has been doing his media circuit uh, after his Milwaukee Bucks piece. Uh, the guys on rejecting the screen, Noah and Adam, did an interesting art kind of conversation about how unfair they think it is the way the Bucks are being characterized, that the Bucks are being punished for their, you know, falling short last year. Uh, and then the whole concept, well, they haven't, they haven't done it. they got to prove they can do it. Like, that's what this league's always been about. So that what they did last year was somewhat natural, and they're, they're making the step into the next year of learning. But they also pointed out that, like, maybe some of that mantra is not actually that accurate anymore, that there's been a bunch of teams that have been able to kind of make the jump without that. I think it's a, a very low-hanging fruit argument that requires more nuance if you're going to like throw that label on a team. I think it's just so easy to throw on basically anyone. Anthony Davis has never done it. Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker have definitely never done it. Um, I mean, you can go right down the list. You can even make the argument that uh, you know Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry haven't done it without Kawhi Leonard. 
Paul George has never done it. Russell Westbrook's never done it. James Harden's never done it. And I do think that the label sticks to the, the Bucks more than some of these other teams because of the, of the nature of their collapse in the Eastern Conference Finals. And kind of my mantra on this has been, look, this team has been absolutely ridiculous for two years straight, and they had one really bad week. And we talk about that one bad week about 90% of the time, and we give them credit for the, the rest of the, uh, you know, 51 weeks plus 52 uh, weeks, uh, probably 10% of the time, right? And, and that just seems unfair and distorting to me, especially when you look at the landscape in the Eastern Conference and you say Giannis is better than he was last year, and there was one guy who could stop him, Kawhi Leonard, and that guy's not in the conference anymore. So the competition has gotten worse. Giannis has gotten better, and Giannis's team has gotten better and more successful as well. And his most important teammate, Chris Middleton, has gotten better and is playing the best basketball of his career. I mean, Chris Middleton's a 50-40-90 guy. Nobody even talks about him. If Clay Thompson was a 50-40-90 guy in 2016, I mean, ESPN and everybody else would be running around the clock features about that, right? And so, uh, I mean, there's lots of factors. Milwaukee's in the flyover state, small market. Uh, you know, football and, and baseball are probably a bigger deal there locally. You can go down a long list of reasons why they get overlooked. Giannis isn't really, uh, you know, a center of attention seeking type of superstar. I mean, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, but to me, they should be viewed as the overall title favorite right now. Their body of work uh, suggests that they've earned it. And I certainly think they should be the prohibitive favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference. He's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. We'll continue on this conversation. This is Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. Fridays are Anthony Irwin and Adam Otis, and they always have very creative, fun Friday shows for you. We'll continue uh, with those. And then Ben Golliver's got a really tough task of answering a question for me that I just don't quite know how to answer. Ben Golliver, Colin Sexton drops 40. He dropped 30 the night before. Cleveland's awful. How do I evaluate that 40? And we're getting a lot of those this year, aren't we? The just crazy stat lines on horrible teams that stretch all logic and context and everything else. I'm not the world's biggest Colin Sexton fan. I think that I see a player who really needs to develop from a decision-making standpoint, from a playmaking for his team teammate standpoint, um, from a you know shot selection standpoint at times um, you know I think that he's done a you know he's had some success here improving his efficiency individually um, but you know to me I just don't see him as being like the lead guard of a winning team at this point um, in part because he just seems so focused on attacking the rim at every single moment that uh, it often leads to empty possessions poor possessions um, you know, wasted opportunities and missed opportunities for his teammates. So, um, you know, I hate to kill a guy on his career night, but I think that I'm still in, in the skeptical category uh, for him, uh, more so than the, the sold on his promise category. Uh, and I think that he's got a long way to go developing, you know, basically everything besides his scoring instincts if he wants to be a big-time player in this league. And yet I'm going to assume that what Bradley Beal's doing is fine. No, I mean, I, I look at guys like Bradley Beal and, and Trey Young, and, and there's big-time question marks. Look, I mean, the Wizards have basically been a Ponzi scheme all, all year long. Like, they're not even playing defense. They're not even trying. They give up just, you know, untold points night after night. And to make up for it, they play, you know, super fast, and they try to get as many points as possible, and Beal has the absolute green light and everything else. 
I mean, I think we can trust Beal's production more because he's done it more consistently. He's done it in a, a variety of environments with a variety of teammates. And you feel pretty confident that, like, if you put him on a contender, he's still going to be able to get 25 um, on a contender without, you know, hijacking your offense, so to speak. Uh, we just don't have the same comparison uh, points for, say, players like Trey Young or Colin Sexton or even a guy like Devin Booker, who's gotten a lot of praise over the years from people who love his scoring numbers. I'm, I'm sure it's people who own him on their fantasy basketball teams. And yet every single year, year after year, they win 20-something games, uh, and it never translates to team success. I mean, those are the guys that I question more so than a player like Beal, who's at least done it on uh, teams that have made the playoffs and advanced in the playoffs. How am I supposed to feel about the fact that when LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the floor together, the Lakers are plus 10.2? When LeBron James is on the floor without Anthony Davis, they're plus 10.9. And when Anthony Davis is on the floor without LeBron James, they're minus 0.2. Well, Locke, that's actually your fault because you're the backup playmaker for the Lakers. I mean, that's that's pretty much the state of affairs they've got behind LeBron, and that's that's the big problem. It's like it, so much falls on his shoulders because their other guard personnel, I mean, especially Rondo. Like, I think Rondo was supposed to be this guy who could step in and kind of keep things afloat, and that's just not the case. I mean, he's, uh, you know, to me at this point of his career, he's a minus player. Um, and when you look at their other guards, especially their valuable ones, like, say, Alex Caruso or Danny Green, I mean, those guys are giving them good minutes. You can't run the offense through those guys. You can't, you know, turn them, you know, give them a long chunk of possessions and, and just let them go to work. I mean, anytime LeBron is resting, uh, they are doing their absolute best to try to tread water, and they give up lots and lots of runs night after night. And he's been able to hold up so well from a health standpoint and handle so many minutes that they're able to survive uh, that time without him. But that's one of the concerns I have about them during the playoffs is like, you know, during those minutes, like you can't play 48 every single night. That's just not going to work. And so, you know, is Davis going to be able to elevate his game? Are they going to have enough uh, players to sort of, you know, be able to keep him engaged offensively because they just lack that, uh, that backcourt position right now uh, to kind of like set him up? Um, you know, what do they look like, uh, you know, in those tense early fourth quarter minutes or, uh, you know, that stretch, like, say, late in the first, early in the second, where other teams might be able to go on runs. It's a, a huge problem, by the way, when they face the Clippers because LeBron's going to have to play a ton of minutes in that matchup because the Clippers bench is so sensational, uh, and they're going to be able to run off, you know, uh, you know, big scoring margins at any time LeBron's off the court. Um, I have a new phrase. Uh, the, the Houston or the Miami-Orlando game, had two box score lines that are worth noting. <laughs> Let me guess. Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross had 35 points, no rebounds, no assists, no blocks, no steals. <laughs> Boyan Bogdanovich did this earlier this year, too. Like, we need to come up with a name for that. Is it like the donut? Because there's nothing in the middle? Yeah. That, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, there's no substance. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of zeros? Now you're really putting me on the spot. i got to think about that one. Okay, so we need a name for that. The other one is I have established that there is now something called the Duncan Robinson. And the Duncan Robinson is when you take seven. Now, what's interesting is that Jay Crowder did the Duncan Robinson tonight, but he did it in the Jay Crowder way instead of in the Duncan Robinson way. So the Duncan Robinson is when you take like 
some number of shots, probably seven or more, and they're only threes. So Duncan <laughs> Robinson tonight went nine of 12, all shots being threes, which, by the way, is insane. It means he had 27 points on 12 shot attempts without a free throw, which is insane. He's actually one of the most impactful offensive players in the league right now. Um, so, but Jay Crowder actually did a Duncan Robinson, but he did it like Jay Crowder, which is a little different. Instead of nine of 12 and only having your shots be threes, he went one of eight and had his shots only be threes. <laughs> well, I think this could definitely be called a Duncan Robinson because, um, the best part about this setup is that, you know, he's just smiling from ear to ear every time he does this. Cause this is like his dream existence, isn't it? I mean, isn't this like his peak life? Like this is what he's all he's ever hoped for is the ultimate green light on a winning team contributing, uh, like you're saying to their spacing and their off their team's offensive efficiency and just getting to snipe all day long. I mean, that sounds like heaven for him. And, I can see this going on for years and years into the future. There aren't very many guys who did it. Like Davis Bertans comes close every now and then, but Davis Bertans totally screwed up his Duncan Robinson tonight by t making four two-point shots. <laughs> like he was four of 12 from three, but eight of 16 overall. So I think it's got to be like six shot attempts only because that's divisible by three. Six shot attempts or more only shooting threes. It, it rarely happens. It's a Duncan Robinson. Well, I can promise you all the listeners out there and myself will all be looking for these constantly now every time we scan the box score because now you've planted the idea. Right, like if the starters can have their wedgie or whatever they have, we can have the Duncan Robinson. <laughs> okay. And then the other thing is, you know, that my kid's going to Williams, so therefore I have to, like, respect Duncan Robinson at all times because that's where he started before he went to Michigan. See? Well, pretty soon you guys are going to have matching custom Duncan Robinson jerseys. You're going to hey, be showing up to the father-son alumni We game. will. It's going to be great. And you know, if anybody knows what the mascot of the Williams is, that would be most impressive because Williams was started by the most arrogant man ever in the history of America, which is really quite a statement these days to think that there could be somebody with more arrogance than somebody. But the owner, the guy who started Williams College was named Ephraim Williams. And he hit the rules of starting the college were that the town had to be named Williamstown and the school's mascot had to be the Eves because his name yeah, that, was Ephraim. That, that's next level. That that's is really next, next level. level. So now they're known as the Purple Cows. So next time you see Duncan Robinson, ask him if he's ever been a Purple Cow. And the answer is yes. Well, I mean, Ephraim Williams, Colin Sexton, and Zion Williamson all caught strays from us tonight. I mean, we were definitely, uh, you know, taking shots left and right on this episode. One of the feistier ones we've ever had, I think. Well, and we now have something called the Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Feel free to tweet me at, at Lockdown Sports anytime you see a Duncan Robinson. On behalf of Ben Golliver, get his newsletter to the Washington Post. It was a really good article about a Harden ha this week, how Harden had kind of missed the boat on the Giannis feud. 
So grab that from Ben by going to at Ben Golliver on Twitter, and then you can click on his pinned tweet to get that newsletter. I'm David Locke. Just send me Duncan Robinson's. Have a great day. It is Thursday. <laughs> the Rejecting the Screen crew have gone ISO with Brendan Haywood, who played with Jordan, played with, won a title with Dirk. Really interesting art interview uh, going one-on-one with Brendan Haywood. Uh, so go grab that now. Tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast Rejecting the Screen.